Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. So, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome uh, to the Heritage Foundation. It's a lovely day outside. It's uh, too bad we're all inside here, but we have a very, very special guest to make it worth it. Uh, very pleased to have uh, Senator Ted Cruz with us today to talk about uh, an issue that he has shown great leadership on, and we greatly appreciate you doing that, sir. It's uh, uh, sometimes in the think tank world, an issue comes along, and we struggle to try to raise attention to it. It really, really helps us to have a leader like you to step up and do that. Uh, since April 18th, of course, as many of you know, massive protests have engulfed many parts of Nicaragua, and it's resulted in certainly widespread disruption and even tragically loss of life. And hundreds of thousands of Nicaraguans are protesting against this leftist authoritarian regime that's led by former communist revolutionary Daniel Ortega, and his hand-picked vice president and wife, Rosaria Murillo. Initially, the demonstrations were about an unpopular social security reform. But the government's brutal repression against the protesters, and many of them who were university students, has spawned a backlash against Ortega's regime. And dozens have died at the hands of Ortega's police and pro-government thugs. It is clear that Ortega intends on taking Nicaragua down the same dark path as Venezuela. We are honored to have Senator Ted Cruz joining us today in providing remarks on why the United States must support a responsible resolution to this crisis. Senator Cruz has been a leading voice in the Senate fighting back against the Ortega regime's corrupt practices. And in a time when bipartisan cooperation is rare. He, alongside Senator Rubio, Perdue, Durbin, Menendez, and Leahy, had co-sponsored legislation conditioning United States approval of international loans to the government of Nicaragua. In order to receive loans from the United States government-funded institutions, Nicaragua must demonstrate improvement in human rights, the restoration of their democratic order, and combating corruption. Following his remarks, Senator Cruz will have a few minutes uh, that he will be here and share with us for, for questions and answers. We very much appreciate you doing that. But without any further ado, please join me in welcoming Senator Ted Cruz. Good afternoon and welcome. Thank you to the Heritage Foundation for your tremendous leadership speaking out in support of freedom speaking out in support of democracy. Heritage makes a difference here in the United States and all across the world. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today and to address this pressing issue. 
the disparity between American freedoms and that of much of the rest of the world is thrown into stark contrast when you look at some of our less fortunate neighbors like Cuba and Venezuela and sadly like Nicaragua. At the end of last month, half a million Nicaraguans took to the street to protest the corrupt Ortega regime. Many of them students. These protests were sparked due to proposed changes to their national social security program. The Sandinistas, predictably, deployed their national police force and the violence escalated. Dozens were murdered. Hundreds were injured, detained, or missing. The press that tried to cover these crimes has been censored. And reporters have been harassed by agents of the government. Five TV stations have been taken off the air. And a Facebook Live video has been circulated purporting to show a journalist being murdered while covering the violence. The police confiscated water, food, and medical supplies from volunteers helping the protesters. Daniel Ortega, the Marxist president of Nicaragua, has proven his brutal disregard for basic human liberties over and over again. Ortega has offered a, quote, dialogue with those who opposed his regime and then sent his national police to round up dissidents and journalists and to murder peaceful protesters. This is a desperate dictator in the style of Venezuela's Hugo Chavez or Nicolas Maduro, grasping for control. He faces the largest uprising since the Civil War ended almost 30 years ago. And as money from Venezuela dries up, the Nicaraguan people are under a morally and financially bankrupt regime. Their future hangs in the balance. In the 1980s, Ortega led the Sandinista National Liberation Front during Nicaragua's bloody civil war. The current crisis was a long time in the making. It was seen coming by those who recognized the warning signs of Marxist strongmen and their regimes. In 2016, I joined with Jim DeMint in an editorial writing Ortega's victory is his latest sh in his latest sham election ensured that Nicaragua will remain an authoritarian regime allied with every enemy of the U.S. from Caracas to Moscow. And let there be no doubt, the elections were nothing short of fraudulent. Ortega's had a lot of practice whether by removing political challengers through a Sandinista-controlled Supreme Court or unilaterally expelling opposition congressmen from the National Assembly. He has altered election rules, lowered vote thresholds, and abolished presidential term limits. Ortega has long been an ally of anti-American regimes. Let's start with Venezuela.
before the inevitable failures of kleptocracy and socialism destroyed the Venezuelan economy. Caracas was buying Ortega's support in Nicaragua with petrodollars. Venezuela's influence is crumbling along with its economy. As we've seen, not socialism poorly implemented. And it's amazing the defenders of leftist authoritarian regimes when they crumble When the people suffer in poverty and misery, they always say, yes, but only if it could be properly implemented, only if it could be fully implemented. The reason Venezuela is hurting so much is it has been. This is the inevitable effect of socialism and communism. But nonetheless, the bonds between these radical regimes remain strong. With Ortega still in power, Nicaragua can be expected to continue to embrace policies hostile to the United States and our interests. Nicaragua's growing relationship with countries that seek to undermine American national security is of particular concern. Russia and Nicaragua have struck a deal to increase military and intelligence cooperation resulting in an influx of Russian tanks to Managua and an agreement to build an electronic intelligence base which may be disguised as a satellite navigation tracking station. Because what could possibly go wrong with having Russian tanks in the Americas? This development is worrisome. Given Russia's interest in reopening its Soviet-era signals intelligence base in Lourdes, Cuba. The nexus of security cooperation between these actors should raise a serious red flag. An expanded footprint of external influence in the region poses a direct threat to American national security interests. We should take action against Russian interference in Managua, We should compel Cuba to withdraw their security advisors, and we should instruct the United States Treasury to target money laundering schemes between Venezuela and the Ortega regime. Fortunately, we have an administration that isn't an apologist for Latin American communists. Instead, we have an administration that recognizes and acknowledges the dangers posed by crumbling socialist regimes. The White House is committed to countering Sandinista power plays across the region. On Monday, at a meeting of the Organization of American States, Vice President Mike Pence took a firm stand against an increasingly dictatorial Nicaragua. He said, quote, The United States condemns these brutal actions in the strongest possible terms. We call upon the Ortega government to allow the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights into Nicaragua. And we join the nations around the world in demanding that the Ortega government respond to the Nicaraguan people's demands for democratic reform and hold accountable those responsible for violence. The people of Nicaragua deserve better than the worsening repression of Daniel Ortega's government. 
Vice President is exactly right. Fortunately, the United States has options to put real pressure on Ortega and to diminish his influence. Along with several of my fellow senators, I introduced the Nicaraguan Investment Conditionality Act, NICA. This bipartisan legislation directs U.S. officials to oppose international loans to the government of Nicaragua until the Ortega regime is held accountable for its oppressive anti-democratic actions and the Secretary of State certifies that Nicaragua is taking effective steps to hold free and fair elections. NICA mandates specific preconditions to be met before the U.S. approves loans flowing from international financial institutions to the Nicaraguan government. These financial institutions, which the U.S. taxpayer is the major contributor to, are keeping the regime and its practices afloat. We are paying for this communist oppression. Any such money should be directly tied to basic democratic reforms. Otherwise, these loans are just benevolent charity for a dictator. And not just any dictator. We are taking the American taxpayers' dollars and giving them to an anti-American dictator who oppresses his own people and seeks to undermine the national security interests of our own country. In fact, what this bill does, what NICA does, is to prioritize loans for the promotion of democracy and basic human needs. In order to gain U.S. approval, they would need to show marked improvement in human rights, hold free and fair elections, strengthen the rule of law, and protect the right of political opposition parties, journalists, and human rights defenders. A companion bill, led by my friend, the inimitable Ileana Ross Layton. And boy, she will be missed in the House of Representatives. But her companion bill has already passed the House of Representatives twice. I look forward to passing ours in the Senate as soon as possible, especially in light of Ortega's recent crimes. It is well past time for Congress to hold the government of Nicaragua accountable for its corruption and its human rights abuses. The U.S. has additional leverage. The Global Magnitsky Act, Human Rights Accountability Act. The act authorizes the administration to impose visa and asset sanctions on foreign persons responsible for gross violation of human rights and government officials or their associates who have engaged in acts of significant corruption. In December, I joined my colleagues from both parties and called upon the Trump administration to invoke the Global Magnitsky Act and to designate and sanction Roberto Rivas, President of the Supreme Electoral Council, and Francisco Lopez, Vice President of Albanisa, an organ of Venezuela's soft power that doles, doles out oil to its puppets and allies. Rivas represents a pervasive abuse of power, which has been institutionalized in Nicaragua. He has engaged in fraudulent activity 
to consolidate control and to secure wealth at the expense of the Nicaraguan people. The administration rolled out sanctions on Rivas by month's end. This designation put all those who abuse power on notice. You are not untouchable. We must enforce these sanctions and apply the Magnitsky Act to a host of corrupt characters operating throughout the region. It's past time that the United States took swift action to sanction those who systematically undermine democratic order and human rights and to demonstrate our commitment to the Nicaraguan people. Over 50 years ago, my father was forced to flee Cuba. As a young man, he fought in a revolution there. He fought alongside the forces of Fidel Castro. As a teenager, my dad did not know that Castro was a communist. He knew that Batista, the dictator, was corrupt and oppressive. And the revolution in Cuba was in many ways fought by kids. My dad was in student council in high school. And it was the student councils, indeed, Fidel Castro was a student council leader in university. I have to admit... Growing up, I was in student council. No one would have confused us with guerrillas. It was a little bit different in Houston, Texas. But it was the kids, it was the teenagers who fought in the revolution. And my father at 17 was thrown in prison and tortured by Batista. They beat him in that jail cell, broke his nose, shattered his teeth, smashed his skull with the, the heel of a boot, into the ground. To this day, my father's front teeth are not his own because they were kicked out of his mouth in a Cuban jail cell. When my father fled Cuba, it was 1957, and he came to Texas. He came seeking freedom. He came seeking hope, the beacon of hope that America represents. My father arrived in Austin, Texas, $100 in his underwear, washed dishes, making 50 cents an hour. And he paid his way through the University of Texas. He couldn't speak English. But he learned. He learned English quickly. He had, shall we say, an acute incentive to do so. Because his student visa admitted him to the University of Texas. His classes were all in English. If he didn't learn English, he was going to flunk out of UT. If he flunked out of UT, they'd revoke his student visa. If they revoked his student visa and they sent him back to Cuba, he'd be killed. That gave an exquisite incentive to learn English and to learn it quickly. When my father first got here, he learned English. He began traveling around Austin speaking, speaking about the revolution, speaking about how Batista was corrupt and encouraging Austin business leaders to support the revolution. Well, then 59 occurs. Cuban revolution succeeds. Fidel Castro seizes power, declares to the world he is a communist, seizes people's lands, begin, begins executing dissidents. My aunt, my tia Sonia, my father's younger sister, she was still back in Cuba, as were my grandparents. My aunt saw the evils that Castro perpetrated on Cuba. They discovered, as bad as Batista was, and he was bad news, 
the next dictator was even worse. So my aunt began fighting in the counter-revolution. She began fighting against the Castro regime. And my aunt found herself imprisoned and tortured by Castro's thugs. It's a story, sadly, that is all too common throughout Latin America. From one oppressive dictator to another. When all of this happened, my father went back to Cuba one more time in 1960. He was horrified by what he saw. What he saw was very different from the ideals of freedom. The freedom fighters he thought he had been alongside. So my father came back to Texas, and he sat down, he made a list of every place he'd gone to speak. And he made a point of going in front of each and every one of them, standing up and apologizing to them. He said, I came before you, and I urge you to support evil ends. He said, I didn't do so knowingly. I did not know that I was doing that. But I did so nonetheless. And for that, I'm truly sorry. My aunt, my Theosonia, subsequently escaped Cuba, as did my grandparents. I love my aunt. I call her my Tia Loca. She is truly in my family, between my father, my aunt, and me. I am the quiet and soft-spoken one. <laughs> then there is my father, and then there is my Tia Sonia, who I have to admit, in the presidential election, more than once, I told her, I said, Thea, if we win this race, I may appoint you ambassador to Cuba, just because if you ever got in a room with Fidel." you would beat the living crap out of that SOB. And I have to admit, I'd pay money to see my Theosonia doing that. But you know, my family's story is depressingly commonplace. When you're in college, you're in universities. You see young teenage leftists glamorizing communism. You see college students with a, a Mao watch. Or I remember in college, one of the folks in my dorm had a poster of Che Guevara on the wall. And as a college student, I wasn't nearly as timid and shy as I am today. So I went in and I saw the poster and I commended him. I said, look, that is, that's lovely. That's real. It's fabulous. I am glad you are honoring, glorifying Che Guevara. But look, if you're going to celebrate torturers and murderers, why limit yourself? I mean, come on, next to Che, you can put Stalin, you can put Mao, you can put Pol Pot, you can put Hitler. I mean, Che Guevara was a murderer and an evil man, but he was an amateur compared to the millions who suffered at the hands of of other dictators. Now, I get he was sort of rakishly good-looking, and he he, he did the the sort of not-shaven stubble, so so that that excuses it. A good-looking murderer is, is perfectly acceptable to lionize. In my family and so many families across the globe, 
the horrors of communism are not theoretical. They're not abstract. They're real. They're personal. And they're measured in lives lost. I met recently with one Cuban dissident who had been attacked by the regime for speaking out. She started out as a communist operative, but she dared speak out against the regime. She was attacked with a machete, hacked within inches of her life. At this point, the verdict of history is clear. Communism is a grossly immoral, oppressive evil. And we need the clarity to recognize that. This legacy has echoed throughout the Caribbean, throughout Central America, throughout South America, and across the Atlantic to Angola. Socialist strongmen are still struggling to hold on to power. By the way, if socialism was such a utopia, why do you always need a brute squad to oppress the people into accepting it? You know, Reagan powerfully used to say, the thing liberals never seem to notice is on the Berlin Wall, the machine guns all point one direction. As a Cuban-American, I had a slightly different take on it. I've said, the things liberals never seem to notice is if you go down to Key West, the rafts are all going one direction. Just once, I'd like to see Jane Fonda and other Hollywood liberals <laughs> go strap together some empty oil barrels and float 90 miles south because their, their nirvana of socialized medicine, of socialized misery for all is right there. People vote with their feet and they vote with their lives and it's why communism always, always, always is accompanied by brutal totalitarian oppressor. Because it doesn't work. And it is only at the barrel of a gun that people will tolerate it. As we've seen in North Korea, we don't make progress by backing down, by apologizing for the truth. We stand up and we proclaim it. Weakness and appeasement never works. Indeed, appeasement is provocative. There is a reason as you travel the capitals of Europe, you don't see statues to Neville Chamberlain. Appeasement only encourages despots, tyrants, and dictators. We put sanctions on dictators and we back up our words with action. We support a free press, private property, and the democratic process. And we must learn the lesson about the brutality of tyrants. Having witnessed the Castro reign in Cuba and Maduro's failing Venezuela, country that went from enormous prosperity to unimaginable misery. The United States has seen the inevitable impact of communism, a fundamentally unfree society with a failing economy governed by a repressive state. We can't stand idly by 
while, Nicar while Nicaragua follows in the same footsteps as Cuba and Venezuela, crafting a legacy to institutionalize a dictatorship. And we especially should not be funding that communist oppression. The American taxpayer should not be footing the bill. To the people of Nicaragua, they will, there will be an expiration date for the Ortega regime. The American people stand with you in your fight for freedom and for the rule of law. You have put Ortega on his heels. And I am hopeful the day will come when Nicaragua will again have a government that truly represents them. To the half million protesters who risked your lives. To the students, some students as young as my father was in Cuba, who stood up and risked your lives for freedom. I say thank you. Thank you for your courage. And remember, truth has power. Truth is stronger than lies. Light is stronger than darkness. And every oppressive regime seems unshakable until it crumbles and falls. I've met with a number of dissidents from countries throughout Latin America. And I often take them into my office in the United States Senate. And the prominent feature in my office is an enormous painting. A painting of Ronald Reagan standing before the Brandenburg Gate. At the top of the painting, written in German, are the words, tear down this wall. Done in the style of the graffiti on the Berlin Wall. Now the story that many know. So when that speech was being written, three times the State Department crossed out those words. And three, time, three times President Reagan wrote them back with his own hand. The State Department argued, Mr. President, that's provocative. Mr. President, it's unrealistic. You can't say something like that because it will never, never, never happen. We were only a few years past from Jimmy Carter telling us we had to accept malaise and that America could never keep up with the Soviet Union. And Reagan, with a smile, with his twinkle in his eye, said, you don't understand. This is the whole point of the speech. Some years ago, I sat down with Natan Sharansky in Jerusalem, the famed Soviet dissident. He told stories about how in the gulag, prisoners would pass from cell to cell notes. Did you hear what Reagan said? Evil empire, ash heap of history. Tear down this wall. Those words pierced the darkest prison cell. And within a few short years, that symbol of evil and oppression came crumbling to the ground. To the people of Nicaragua, tyranny will fall. Your bravery will play a critical role in making that happen. And the American people stand with you. Thank you.
Thank you, Senator, for those fantastic remarks. And I think we have a few minutes for some questions, if you're so open to it. Um, please wait for the microphone to get to you. And if you can please tell us your name and the organization that you are affiliated with. I think the gentleman right over here in the front. Uh, thank you. My name is Javier Arguello, and I actually have a Tia Sonia. <laughs> Forty years ago, Daniel Ortega pointed a bazooka at our house. I was five. I was opening the door. They tried to kill us, and I was a um, janitor down the street here at Gonzaga High School. And your story should be more unique than it is. So it resonates with me at a personal level. Uh, I would like to ask uh, your opinion on a slightly different spin than one of ideological divide. The students in Nicaragua are marching and dying, not because it's against Marxism or because it's against these policies that we know don't work. It's against corruption that has been embraced in Nicaragua by the right as well as by the left. And the NICA Act, which I support fully, has been blocked here by right-wing Nicaraguans that have lobbied through the Carmen Group against your NICA Act. They have been coming here to support the blocking of justice. So this is not left versus right. This is corruption against justice and democracy. Do you agree, and could you comment on that? Well, listen, I, I think you're exactly right. This is not about, certainly in the American political scene, conservative versus liberal or left versus right. This is, as I see it, about tyranny versus freedom. And it's about lies versus truth. So you are right, there is pressure back. We have not gotten it through the Senate, although I'm encouraged. We're seeing, this is bipartisan legislation. We've got a number of prominent Democratic senators who join with me on this. Uh, and I'm hopeful, I'm continuing to make the case, to press the case in the Senate, that this is a common sense step to take. Um, you're right, Latin America has been plagued by corruption. And the corruption is not unique to communist regimes any more than, than corruption was unique to Castro in Cuba. It was there with Batista. Batista was in bed with the mob. And it was a corrupt thug government. People are frustrated with that corruption. That's a natural instinct. And, and, and the journey to freedom is often not a straight line. It can be a bumpy process. What is it Churchill said? Democracy is the worst form of government known to man, except for every other. Um, that, that is equally true. So in the Senate, I believe we will get to victory. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, on the merits, it is very, very hard for anyone any elected official in America to in good faith defend using U.S. taxpayer dollars to prop up and fund the oppressive Ortega regime. If we are going to be sending money, we should be using that money as a catalyst for positive change. Uh, and, and I believe over time that position will prevail. Uh, thank you very much, Senator Roger Noriega with the American Enterprise Institute. I served in the Reagan and Bush administrations. Um, it's a great pleasure to see you. Um, a quick question. Um, you were mentioning how U.S. taxpayer dollars shouldn't be uh, used to defeat these, uh, to support these regimes.
dollars was confiscated from Tarek Al Sami after the Treasury uh, Department uh, implemented those sanctions early in the Trump administration. Um, that money is frozen; it's not available. There are probably billions of dollars that were was looted from the Venezuelan people uh, that is frozen. Do we need new authorities, new resources to investigate this kind of corruption? and be in a position not only to, to freeze the assets, block the transactions, but actually uh, be in a position to, to uh, forfeit the assets, uh, confiscate the assets, and repurpose them to pro-democracy activities. And a, very, a second question, uh, very quickly. A friend uh, has been, who's been watching Nicaragua closely uh, was very dismayed that apparently the U.S. Embassy in Managua uh, wasn't open uh, to people across the board, including many on the, who are actually leading uh, the uh, protests. Would you uh, please have your staff look into that and see if that's a, a valid criticism and, and ensure that the U.S. Embassy is, is standing with all the people who are uh, fight, fighting for their own freedoms? So on the second question, I'm certainly happy we will, we'll look into that and see what we can find. I had, had not heard that, but I'll have my staff look into it. Um, the first question is an interesting idea, and I think it's an idea worth thinking about and considering. Now, one has to be careful in terms of how money is expended or how money is being deployed. Uh, but I do think, you know, if you look at Venezuela, Venezuela is, is, is a rich country. Venezuela is a country blessed with enormous energy reserves. And Venezuela, for much of its history, has been a prosperous country. I mean, it is really a testament to how piss-poor socialism is, that it's managed to visit such misery on Venezuela despite their massive resources. And I'll tell you, I have urged the president and this administration that I think actually one of the greatest positive foreign policy opportunities we have is with regard to Venezuela. That Venezuela ought to be a friend to America. It ought to be. There are enormous win-win synergies of American companies being able to help develop that energy, resulting in bringing back prosperity to Venezuela, and resulting in jobs and economic growth here in America. That is a win-win on both sides, but that's not going to happen when you have a viciously anti-American, corrupt, and oppressive regime. And so I think the opportunity to encourage free and democratic elections in Venezuela, like Nicaragua, Presents, presents enormous upside. There is enormous opportunity for Venezuela. Once again, the Venezuelan people, I think, are friends of America. But the dictator on whom, under whom they're suffering is not. And, and should there be free and democratic elections that elect someone that wants to see prosperity come back, that would benefit both nations. So maybe one more question. I think that brings us to the end of our event. Um, Senator, I thank you. I'm really glad we were able to bring you out of your shell. I know you're, it's very difficult to get your honest opinion on things, and we all thank you. So if everyone could please join me in thanking Senator Cruz. Thank you again. This is so great.